Please be seated. So, right before we jump into Acts chapter 13, um, last week Pastor Jeff talked a lot about belief and what it looks like to believe and, and, and how a lot of times when we're struggling or whatever that looks like and whatever's going on in our life, it's really just a lack of belief. And the more we believe, the more peace we have, the more comfort we have, all of those things we have. And so when we jump into Acts 13, I want us to understand where we're at with this story. Okay, So Acts 13 is immediately after Acts 11. Okay, So at the end of Acts 11, if you read through that, at the end it just says Paul and Barnabas were, went off to Jerusalem so that way they can uh, help the Christians who were being persecuted. That's what it's referring to there in that passage. Acts 12 is kind of like, in the meantime, here's what happened why Paul and Barnabas were off doing their thing, okay? And now we jump back into Acts 13, and this is going to be the return of Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch. Does that make sense? Everybody follow? I see some heads kind of going like this. I see some heads doing this. I'm just joking. I didn't see any heads do that. Um, And if you did, I wouldn't point you out, even though I'd really want to. So, um, Acts 13. So here's here's where we are, and we'll just go ahead and... uh, and jump on in. Now there were in the now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius, Cyre, Mane, a lifelong friend of Herod. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm so sorry. And Saul, uh, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, "Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them." Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And so I just want to pause for a second, because I think this is really important for us to point out. Here's, they get back from Jerusalem, they were sent out, they went and did this thing, they helped Christians who were persecuted, and right when they get back into Antioch, here's what happens. They come together with the church, they're praying, they're fasting, these things are important. And I think it's important to note what they did, right? They came together, they gathered together. They prayed, they fasted, they sought the Lord for direction. You see what they did? That is super important, okay? And then it says explicitly, it's, it's really, really clear, right? Uh, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Just so you know, Saul is Paul later. His name will be called that. I am going, it's going to say Saul. I'm probably going to say Paul. That's only because I read Paul a ton, and it's just a habit at this point. And so I want us to understand that they came, they sought direction with God, which is really important. They just did this journey. They came back, right? Instead of resting, like, oh, I'm just going to take a break. Like, I'm just going to chill out, right? Man, that was a lot of work, and their persecution was worse than ours, trust me, right? They took, instead of doing that, they came home and they said, God, what is next? Like, I'm going to get to work. What am I doing next with my life? And that's, the, and that's what they sought after. And so the point I want to make here is this, is that when we read Paul, right, and we read Barnabas, we hear of these apostles who did lots of awesome stuff. They went to, uh, they planted multiple churches. They were stoned. They've done all these crazy, awesome things. Like, like they went to jail for the gospel, right? Like, that's a cool experience, right? 
Like, I'd go to jail for the gospel. At least I say that now, right? But the question is, like, if we were really put in that situation, would we? I don't want to encourage anyone to go do something dumb so you go to jail. But what I am saying is this, is, like, going to jail for the right reasons, like preaching the gospel, that's a good thing, right? And so here's, here's the point that I want to make, because I think this is important. A lot of times in life, we have these questions like, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And in this moment, Paul and Barnabas give us an, a clear example. We seek God. We pray about it. God what, are, God, what desires are you going to put on my heart so I can go do those things? Not just, let me make this clear, not just any desire, but specific desires. Like, what are your passions? What are you good at? Where are you, where are you gifted? Right? Because here's the truth. Before you were born, God has given you gifts. He has. He assigned you gifts before you're born. He knew exactly after you're born. He knows the direction that you ought to go. He has, he has formed you in the womb. He's going to point you in that direction. And he's going to say, hey, I want you to be passionate about these things. And I'm going to point you and push you in that direction. God has given us gifts. God has given us desires. What are those things? And are you praying about going in that direction? It's really, really important. And how that relates to us as a church and, and multiplying disciples, leaders, and churches is that as Christians, this is something that we ought to do. Because here's the deal. The person who gets up on the stage and, and preaches is just as important as the person who's setting up the kids' classrooms. Without them, we can't disciple kids. That is so important. The person who leads the church, like the role of usher is just as important. The role of greeter, those things are just as important. All of those things matter. All of those things play a role in what we do as a church, especially being missional, right? All of those things matter. Are we praying? Are we going in that direction? And so it's something to consider. So here's, here's just kind of what I want you guys to see, and this is kind of like a point out of this first little section. It says this, the Holy Spirit sets apart Everyone for a specific calling. Everyone. That means if you're administrative, you're important. We need you because there are some people around here who are super unorganized. I'm not lying. Okay? No, I'm not lying. Like, we need you. If you're a big visionary person, we need you because there are some people who are way too organized and can't get from A to Z. Right? They're so concerned about how we get from A to B. Right? Like, we got to move along. We need everybody. It's the truth. And so as the disciples, they're going, they're traveling, they go through Cyprus, and, and we get here to verse 6, and it says this. When they had gone through the whole island, <clears throat> I am sorry, guys, my throat is drying up. They came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. When he was with the uh, proconsul, oh, man, uh, Sergius, a man of intelligence, who was summoned, uh, who summoned Barnabas and Saul, and sought to hear the word of God. Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. And this is what I'm talking about. This dude is brave, right? And he said, you son of the devil, that's brutal, 
you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit, you will not stop making crooked and straight the paths of the Lord. And now behold, the, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And so here's this, <laughs> here's this moment, right? Because as much as we're called to serve and be part of what we're doing here, we're also called to contend for the faith. And Paul, and, he, and, he's, and he's showing this with his actions. He's bold. It takes courage, especially to live in a society where the truth is to be a, to believe in the Bible alone, there is a criticism. Like people criticize us just for that. Verse 16, men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. The God of this, of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arms, he led them out of it. <clears throat> and for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. So here's what's going on, and this is what we're going to see for the, next several, for the next several verses. Paul now, at this point, is standing up, and he's talking. And he's telling these people, he's talking to these people, and he's, and he's going to work through this really long biblical theology. It's a fancy word. What he's talking about is Genesis to Revelation. What he's doing is, is he's appealing to his audience. He's trying to get them to relate, to understand what he's talking about. And in these first few sections, here's what he's doing. He says, he says hey, people of Israel, our father, right? He came... He, he, he came and he, he gave us Abraham, he gave us Jacob, he gave us Isaac, he gave us these people, he gave us, he gave us Joseph, and through Joseph, we put him in Egypt, and through Egypt, right, God eventually protects them, he moves them out of Egypt, and then, and then, as Paul says it, God put up with the Israelites while they were in the wilderness, right? Why? Because they were just like grumblers. They were complainers. They're like, God, this whole setup and teardown thing is terrible, yeah, see, that resonates. There you go. It's terrible. I'll be the first to tell you. I've thought about it, right? It's, man, we're constantly moving. We don't have a home. This thing is terrible. You want to know why? Because in the midst of constant movement and constant change, people don't like it, and grumbling happens, and just little things at that point become these huge things, right? How many times in your life does something so small become such a big problem? And in reality, it's really just a small problem, but in your mind and, your, and like the attitude you have, you make it like this big, right? It's, it's something we do. And so here's God through time working, and this is what he's doing. And ultimately he says, right, Paul says, he has to put up with the Israelites in wilderness. Verse 19, and after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. So here's what God did. He came along and he said, hey, we're going to take these people out and I'm going to give you their land. Stop whining. Right? And so that's what he does. <clears throat> Verse 20. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And if you ever read through the book of Samuel, 1st, 2nd Samuel, you know this. You know that God himself was supposed to be the king of Israel. You know that. And so when Samuel, when the people of Israel came to Samuel and they said, why can't we have a king like all the other nations? 
guys, those, those nations are pagans. Like, you're not supposed to look like them. I'm your king. And Samuel's response, really, right? Samuel's response to the people is anger. He's mad. He's like, why don't you see this? Why can't you see that God is your king? And God comes to Samuel and brings him comfort. And he says, Samuel, the people of Israel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. So first they grumble because they, right? they got to do set up and tear down. Right? God gives them a home and it's not good enough. So here's a warning. This is not in my sermon at all and it literally just came to me. Like as we transition, don't take your eyes off of the mission of this church. Don't let little things when we get there become such a big issue. And don't get there and be like, oh, okay, cool. We got a home and we're settled. We're calm. We can just chill out. That's not what we're there to do. We're there to have a king. We're there to continue in our mission. We're there to make disciples, raise up leaders, and plant churches for the next 50 to 60 years. That's why we're doing construction. Because the 20-year-olds in the room, the 30-year-olds in the room, and even the teenagers in the room, you guys are the next leadership of this church. That's why we're investing now. We have to. When we get there, let's not grumble. Let's not be like Israel. And so here's Samuel, right? And God, God says, they're not rejecting you. They're, they're rejecting me. And this is a big problem. Okay, this is a big problem. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin. For 40 years, verse 22, and when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, God testified and said this, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. And let me just point this out. And, and, and so this is a long story. And the reason Paul here is just summing all this stuff up, because the people he's preaching to know this story. They know all the details, all the details of this, right? And so I just want to make a point. I'm going to keep going. Here's something we know. If you don't know anything about the Bible, let me tell you about David. He killed one of his good friends so he could have his wife. But that was a man after his own heart. So here's my point, because some of us in here struggle with these things. How can God use me? The question is, God can use, or better yet, God can use anyone. It does not matter the things you have done or the things you think about yourself. It doesn't matter. Seek the Lord, pray, ask for direction, do those things. And, we're gonna, and as this story continues, I'm going to be able to tell you why all the things you've done, the things David did, the things you think about stuff, why none of that stuff matters, okay? And he goes on, right? I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do uh, all of my will, verse 23, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior. So through David's offspring, a savior is to come, who is Jesus, as he promised, as he promised, so the point that Paul is trying to make here to his Jewish friends is this, is that Jesus was promised long ago. This is not some person who just showed up and started doing stuff. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that this was promised a long time ago. 
This is something that God is always going to do. And truth be told, we can go farther back than what Paul did. We can go all the way back to Genesis 3, verse 15, when he tells the serpent, like, right, through her womb, Eve, right, he will crush your head. In other words, what he's saying in that verse is this. He's saying that her offspring, Eve's offspring, someone will come and they will crush the head of the serpent. He promised right after the fall of Adam and Eve that there will be someone to come and undo everything that has been done, such the thing that we, very, that we call sin and death. And so he's going through this as he promised. <clears throat> Verse 24, before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming. Listen to what he says, because this is so important. The sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. The reason that is important is because culturally in their time, to clean someone's feet or to untie, take someone's shoes off, things like that, not only were you a slave or a servant, but you were the bottom one. You are the least of the least. You're way down here. You're insignificant. John is saying this. The one who's coming after me, he's referring to Jesus. I'm not even worthy to be that guy. That's how much I, like, I can't, I can't even be in the same, on the same team as this guy. Right? And so that's what he's saying. Verse 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God... To us has been sent the message of this salvation. Verse 27. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him or understand uh, the utterances of the prophets, of the prophets which are read everywhere, uh, every Sabbath, fulfilled, uh, fulfilled them by condemning him. In other words, here's what he's saying. He's saying this. He's saying that, all of the prophets, all of those things are pointing to the coming of Jesus. And the prophets in the Old Testament, on the Old Testament were pointing to the sacrifice of Jesus. They were all going in that direction. They've all said that, that when the Savior would come, that he would have to die. And what Paul is telling him is that those prophecies have now come to pass. Verse 28, And though they found in him no guilt worthy of, of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. Verse 29. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from uh, Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to, <clears throat> to the people. And so as we continue through this passage, Here's, here's what Paul does next, because he knows his audience, right? He knows they're Jewish. He knows that he has to appeal to them. He knows that he has to make this case, which I want you guys to know is an example to us on how we should appeal to our friends. It really is. He knows who he's speaking to, so he, he's connecting with them in their culture. That is a way in which that we ought to connect to others. And today, when we go and preach the gospel, we need to consider the cultures and the family dynamics around us, and we need to use those things as a means to preach the gospel, as a means to relate to people. And so as Paul goes on, he starts quoting passages, right? Uh, verse 34 
And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return uh, to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. That's Isaiah 55. Therefore, he says in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. That's Psalm 16. And he continues for the next few verses, and he's quoting these Old Testament passages. And guys, and the, here's, here's the whole reason why I work through this whole thing, and I think it's important for us to understand, is because these things right here that we just read, this is the whole reason why we want to make disciples, raise up leaders, and plant churches. It's this reason. Because the news that flows out of this is one of liberation. And so here's, here's what I'm saying, okay? What Paul was communicating to them was that, hey, you guys live under the law. There is a burden there. There is a righteousness that you think you have to obtain. And what Paul has now done for his Jewish friends is he's taken the burden from them and said, Jesus came as was promised in the Old Testament. We see this through all the prophets in the Old Testament, all the prophets, the Psalms. The book of Psalms, by the way, is, is just a huge prophetic book pointing towards Jesus. He's saying all of that stuff is pointing towards Christ. And the reason all of this is important is not so much because of the things that we get to do after it, because of the relationships that are going to be gained through it. It is through the cross in which you become a son or daughter of God. It is through the cross in which we become a family. That is what is happening here, and that is what he's trying to communicate. He's trying to say, guys, you have this burden in front of you, this law that you think you have to live up to, Jesus died so that way you don't have to. It's freeing. He's taken this thing away so that way you can move on. And here, let me speak individually to you, right? Because I think this stuff's important. Like, there are things that you are struggling with right now in your life. I am as well. There are expectations that we all think we have to meet. There are things that we're just like, man, I don't know if I could do this. Live in the freedom of the gospel. If you don't, it's okay. <laughs> if you sin today, it's okay. Live in this freedom. Live in the truth of what this is proclaiming about you. What it is saying is that your identity is not found in the things that you do. It's not found in behavioral things. Like when I got up this morning and said, you know what? I'm going to love my wife. Right? I made that decision in here. And in action, I'm now behaving the same way I agree. Right? So sometimes in here, it's a little different than our actions. Right? The beauty of the gospel is that God also died for the things that you probably think that are wicked and evil. God died for those things. You don't have to, you don't have to live up to any of that stuff. That's the whole point of this. And so one of my first interactions with Pastor Jeff and, uh, and I'll just share the story because it was, uh, it, was, it was pretty interesting. This is before I, I knew him. This was one of my first times. And, uh, and so we were kind of talking. We were sharing stories. If you guys all know Jeff. He comes from a crazy background. I come, I wasn't, no, like I didn't go to prison or any of those things. But my, I came from a broken home, drug abuse, lots of violence, fights, all of those things, right? And so one of the things he said that I just absolutely loved, and this is what I'm talking about in terms of relationships, he said, the reason I love the gospel so much is because I get, to, I get the privilege to see what it does for families. I get the privilege to see what it does for friends. Like, I get to see those things. 
Like, he's like, that's the message I get to preach to people. Like, hey, Jesus forgives you, therefore you get to forgive other people. And you know yourself so much better than anybody else. Like, the reconciliation that happens between family members. Like, and it's true. I've been in the ministry for three years. Okay, I've been doing vocational ministry for three years. I am green. I'm brand spanking new. But even in those three years, I have seen families torn apart and united through the gospel. Those moments are just, makes it all worth it. Not only that, but I've seen families reconciled, brought together, and then I've seen the husband or the wife go on and lead a ministry. <laughs> like, it's crazy. It's, it blows my mind. That is what the gospel does, right? In America, we are so focused on, like, I want to make sure I go to heaven. Yeah, well, here's the deal. If you idolize heaven too much, you've then replaced it with Jesus. Like, like you can't, right? Like, here's, here's, here's the point, right, is that the gospel is also concerned with our lives now. It's concerned with the things we think and the behaviors we do, and it changes our minds. It helps us to live in a new identity and be like, man, the old is dead, the new has come. I get to live in the righteousness of Christ. That old wicked Joey, I don't even have to regret that. That is how far removed my sin is. And so this is what Paul is doing for the Jews. And I want us to understand that Paul is speaking directly to their hearts because this is one of the most difficult things to do. And so at the end of this, this long, well-written, really gospel presentation from Genesis to Revelation, the point really is this. The gospel is the reason why we, we, uh, we multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. It's real simple. Because here's the deal. You can have a mega church of 5,000, but if you can plant 12, and then the churches, those 12 churches that you plant, plant another 12 in 30 years, right? Like, in that 30-year time span, you're going to reach far more people than you will if you just have one really large church. That's just, just statistics. Like, we know that to be true. And so that's why we're sold out this way. Because the gospel brings reconciliation, and it's the thing that we care about the most. We want to multiply leaders, disciples, and churches because we know what reconciliation does for people. That's where our heart's at. That's what we want to do. Chapter 14, it goes on. I'll start in verse 2, because I think this, this, it says this. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness uh, to, uh, to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders uh, to, um, to be done by their hands. And so here's what's happened. They went, they preached this long gospel. Okay, Paul did this awesome biblical theology. If you're a nerd like me, you love it. If you're not, you're like, that was boring. So he does this thing, and then he goes on, and so he does this. And then directly what happens after that is that there are people that are there with him, and they're like, hey, man, we want to hear more of this stuff. And then there are people who are opposed to what he's doing. And so they go back to the Jewish synagogue, and this is what happens. Those who are unbelieving Jews who did not like what Paul was saying, they stirred up a bunch of, bunch of division. In other words, they just came to cause problems, right? That's, that's what they did. But guys, here's what I want us to understand, is that when you go to your work, if you go to school, 
right? No matter what you do, you go hang out with your unbelieving family, whatever it is, there's always going to be opposition to the gospel. There always is. Because, because people hear the gospel and they will either reject it or embrace it. It is either really offensive or extremely liberating. That is just the truth. That is what happens. And our hearts, like we are wicked, sinful people. The Bible says that we are hostile in mind toward God, right? Paul says in Romans 3 that no one is good, not one. No one seeks after God. We are born sinners. We reject him always. We reject him and his ways. And so when you go and preach the gospel, don't expect anything less. I'm not telling you not to care for them. I'm not telling you not to do those things. What I'm saying is when you go and you, and you say, hey, I'm a Christian. Here's what I believe, and here's your situation. And, man, the gospel will liberate you this way. Don't be shocked if they're opposed to what you just said. Because some of them, if not all of them, will be. But that's okay. It's totally fine. It's not your job to convert them. It's your job to love them, and you are loving them. Because you're trying to share with them, like, hey, Jesus died so that way you can be free of that burden. And sometimes, and I know you guys will attest to this, sometimes we just love to live in our burdens. It's easier to be mad than to say, man, thank you, Jesus, for liberating me. Why? I don't know. But that's what we like to do. But I also want you guys to understand this. Like, persecution is expected and necessary. And here's why I say it. Look at Hebrews 12, 3 through 11. It says this, verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. The author of Hebrews is talking about Jesus. So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Okay? In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Here's what he's saying. Like, deal with it, bro. Come on, man. Keep going. All right? Verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Verse 6, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you must endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there, uh, is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are, an illegitimate, uh, you are Ill- illegitimate children and not sons. Verse 9, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Verse 10, it's getting, here's where it starts to get really important, and this is why suffering and understanding it is really, really important. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. Verse 11, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Do you catch that? Here's why suffering is necessary. Because sin is attractive. Sin is super, super attractive. We want it. That's why it's necessary. 
Because God's aim for you is to share in his holiness. God's aim for you is to see you be a son or daughter of God. That's why it's important. When you go through struggles, God is not beating you with your sin. He's refining you to become more like him. He's building your character. He's showing you what godliness looks like. So here's the overall point that I want you guys to get. Always contend for the faith, even in the face of persecution. Even in the face of persecution. So Paul was persecuted. He was, right? But he also contended for the faith. Put somebody in a hard position and see how they respond. They'll show you what kind of character they have. Right? So verse 19, I'm running out of time, so I'm going to kind of run through the end of this. And this is just the really important part. Actually, I'm going to skip to um, verse 21. And just so you know, here's what happens. Paul, Barnabas, they continue down. They come across this crippled guy. He preaches the gospel. He sees a ton of faith in this guy. He gets up. He walks, right? And uh, people want to know more about this. And so they actually, because it's a pagan nation, what happens is this. They think Paul and Barnabas are like these gods, small g gods, not big g god, right? Small g gods. And they start worshiping them. And Paul, like, freaks out, right? He goes, like, Hulk Hogan on him, like, rips his shirt, right? That's what he does. That's what it says. He tears, like, he tears his shirt. And then he just preaches the gospel even more. What's the answer to bad theology? The gospel. It's simple, right? And so jump down back into Antioch, um, verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. Do you see that? They had made many disciples. They had, they had returned to Lystra. <clears throat> Let me see. All right, no, verse 23. Here's what I want to get. Here's, one I, here's what I really want to get to. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they com, uh, committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And here's the deal, guys. Because this is really the point of what we're talking about, right? In this passage, it says that Paul was stoned. He was dragged out. He was stoned. He gets up and he does his thing, right? But notice what he does in the midst of persecution. He continues to go back. They made many disciples Not only did they make many disciples, they made many elders, they planted churches, they prayed for them, and they sent them to do those things. And the the whole point, really, through this entire passage, the whole theme that I want you guys to see is this, is that no matter what happens, the mission of the church never changes. It is always this, make disciples, train leaders, plant churches. That's what every church should be doing. Every single church should be doing that. We see it so clearly in the passage. It's a long narrative, but it is spelled out so clearly, especially at the very end. That is the point that I want you guys to see. And so I want to get back to my main point, which is just real simple. And then I have a few challenges for you guys. And then I'm going to go ahead and just go ahead and, uh, and pray. So my main point for today was this. God desires his church to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. That's his... That is what we get out of this passage. So here's what I want to do, because I, th- I think sometimes we need these challenges, right? Here's, here's something that I'm going to pose them in the form of questions. What is God calling you to do? And if you don't know, have you been praying about it? 
What are you passionate about? What are things you're good at? Consider those things. Here's the next question. Who's the next church planter in this room? Because here's the truth. God calls you long before you ever feel it. Long before you ever feel it. Who is that person? We desire to raise you up and send you out. Who is the next Gen Kids leader in here? Those are real questions. Who are the future community group leaders of Generations Church? All of these things are necessary. But all of this, guys, here's what I want you to know, is that all of these things are necessary, and we need them to happen. Or else we can't do what we're called to do. We're not going to make disciples, we're not going to raise up leaders, and we're not going to plant churches if people don't start praying and looking for that direction. We have to do it. So I challenge you guys, man. Go home, pray, ask for that direction. What has God called you to do? Those are real questions. If you're not serving at all, or if you're not thinking missionally, there's something wrong. And if you're a child of God, don't be surprised if suffering comes. Because God will kick you in the butt to get you to move. Don't be that one. Be the obedient one. It's easier. Trust me. Everyone giggles because you know it's true. So let me go ahead and pray. Father, we, uh, Father God, we love you. I thank you for today. I thank you just for, um, just for the gift of your word. It brings so much clarity. It gives sound instruction. But it also reminds us of who we are. And sometimes that's, that, is, that is what we need to hear. Because remembering who we are in Christ allows us to be able to move on be, from terrible behavior. God, we thank you for Jesus. Uh, he has given us so much freedom. And it is in Jesus that we find that freedom, and it is just so great. So God, as, as we go out this week, would you challenge us? Would you renew our minds and transform our hearts and help us to just love you, love our neighbor as ourself, and serve and care for one another? And God, if that next church planter or community group leader or whoever it is, if they're here, make that clear to them. Father, we love you. We thank you for everything you are doing. In Jesus' name.